Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host, and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Davey. We are continuing our mini-series that we've been doing. Well, we started it last episode, and we're going to do it for the next few episodes where we're talking about this Pain to Purpose video course that we're releasing on July 14th, and some of the waypoints. We're going to take two waypoints each episode in this mini-series. And so, man, it was a pleasure to be able to talk to you guys a little bit about this last week. I'm excited about diving in again this week. Yeah, I'm really excited about this video course. I found the first two waypoints fascinating, and I loved how you um, just shared how you even came up with this video course and how it's already mm. been helping those that you've been coaching. And so yeah. today we're going to talk about the next two waypoints. And the first one is unclog your bitterness. And um, this is something that we've watched you and your family have to practice. And so um, I'd love to hear what is bitter what does bitterness do to us that impedes us from getting through our valley? Yeah, that's a great question, Mel, because it's actually bitterness. I think that's the one thing that I see predominantly holding people back in their valley from being able to move forward in it. And again, like we talked about last week, people ask all the time, how do I get out of my valley? The only way out of it is through it. So we have to walk through these waypoints. And this is the one that holds us up more than anything else. I've heard it said before that bitterness rots the hand that holds it. And mm-hmm. so uh, what's crazy is that when, when it comes to bitterness, oftentimes you can't recognize the bitterness inside of yourself, but people around you can recognize it. And it's like mm-hmm. your life is kind of like a, a stench and everybody else sees it because you're carrying this bitterness into relationships or into situations that you don't even realize you're carrying into. It just kind of bleeds over. One of the things my counselor said to me one time is it oozes onto other people, which is just a nasty picture, Mm. isn't it? But it really is what happens when you're hanging on to some kind of bitterness. And this could be bitterness from something that somebody's done to you, said to you, could be just a woundedness that begins to collect some of these contaminants along the way that you're hanging on to, and it just clogs up your soul. And so uh, one of the things that we talk about is this idea of unless we let God transform our pain, we're going to inevitably transfer it onto other people. And this mm. keeps us stifled and keeps us in our valley longer than what we should. Yeah, I can actually resonate with this because when my husband and I were going through just a really um, hard season, just growing our family, it was I, I experienced a lot of bitterness, um, wondering uh, why our life wasn't going according mm-hmm. to our plans or why these things happened to us. And I, I do think that this is one of the things that really hindered me from having a thriving walk with the Lord in mm. that season, um, because I couldn't get over um, how bitter and angry I was that I even had to walk through this yeah. valley. I didn't want to walk through the valley at all. Mm. And so um, I am really excited to hear more about this waypoint. Um, your next waypoint is nourish your spirit. And so can you tell me, what is that like? Is that reading your Bible? Is it the spiritual disciplines? Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it includes reading your Bible. It's not, that's not the extent of it. And it kind of is like spiritual disciplines, but I like to call them more spiritual rhythms. I believe mm. um, oftentimes what we do in our walk is that we begin to make checklists 
and try to do all of these things and then ask God to bless our life because we're doing all these things. Or we say, hey, God, would you come and bless the things that I'm doing? And what God is inviting us into, especially in our valley, He's inviting to us to start doing the things He's already blessing. So rather than asking God to bless what we're doing, let's just get on board with the rhythms of the things He's already blessing. And so we talk about several of these spiritual rhythms that if we put these into our lives and let them be a normal part of our lives, this helps us to kind of recalibrate when we find our 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 life disoriented because of the valley. And then out of it, we begin to bear fruit that's healthy uh, in any season, whether you're going through a valley or you're on a mountaintop, you can bear fruit. Ezekiel 47.12 actually says that um, folks who are planted by the river, which is a symbol of, of Jesus's ways, planted by the river, they'll bear fruit in any season, uh, no matter what kind of season you're in, whether it's a dry season or whether it's a really fertile season. And so the way that we do this is by planting ourselves in the flow of Jesus's ways, these spiritual rhythms that we talk about. And so we do a deep dive into what it looks like to nourish your spirit so that you are bearing fruit, that you have joy no matter what your circumstances are. And um, I think this is one of the things that really helps to recalibrate yourself more than anything else when it comes to navigating your valley and beginning to put in healthy habits as you move forward. I really think that this point is so pivotal because whenever you're going through a hard time, you don't really have the mental energy or the stamina to figure out what do I need to do to get yeah. back on track. I am, it's like a turtle on their back. Right. They just, you know, and so I feel like this is the little push or nudge to say, hey, these are the things that you need to do to really get back on track. Yeah. And um, yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, and also Mel, at the same time, you the valley is a season where God is trying to speak something into you. And, and so I think it's C.S. Lewis that says that he whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us through our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. So mm-hmm. he, he is trying to, he's trying to get our attention about something in our pain. And if we position ourselves, we posture ourselves with these spiritual rhythms, then we'll actually get to hear, we'll, da- we'll be able to download exactly what God is trying to speak to us. And that's really the only way that we can move through the valley um, in, in a healthy way. Oh, I love that. That's so, really good. So, Davey, where can people purchase the video course? Yeah, if you go to mypaintopurposeplan.com, uh, it is on sale there now for pre-order. Now, we don't release this until July 14th. And on July 14th, it'll be available for $99 for all of these videos and the downloadable teaching guide. However, if you pre-order now, between now and July 14th, you can get it for $49. So it's a major discount there. And if you are one of our $20 a month partners, if you're a part of that partner program, then you get that $49 price always. So we just want to thank those of you who are partnering with us in that way. Um, So go to mypaintopurposeplan.com and you can pre-order this. That sounds good. Today, our interview is with Callie and Kevin Colwick, um, and they have had an incredible journey that Mm. we get to hear today. Um, But she experienced complications during childbirth, and Mm. um, they're going to explain how they navigated that season, um, how they learn through their pain, and how they gave glory to God through it all. So let's listen to their story now.
Callie, Kevin, great to have you guys joining me on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Well, you guys um, have a tremendous story, one of tremendous heartache and loss and pain and, and trial, but also um, one of a huge inspiration and encouragement and hope, uh, even as I've just heard a little bit of it. I'm excited about diving into some of the details of this, but why don't you take us back uh, to kind of the beginning um, before you began this this journey and, and what that looked like? Yeah, so it started um, back, gosh, um, four, four years ago, three years ago, um, about three years ago. Um, we had just discovered that we were pregnant um, with our second child, and we were absolutely ecstatic. Mm. Um, we had had two early um, losses before this, um, and we have an older daughter, um, Kinsey, who was just about to be one. Um, so we were a little nervous um, moving forward, but so excited um, for the blessing that God had given us again. Um as my pregnancy progressed, I started having some complications, um, which led me to my doctor, which eventually led me to um, the hospital. And um, inevitably, both of us just kind of on our knees in prayer um, because we knew that um, the complications that I had were not um, complications to be taken lightly. And they were often ones that ended in um, your your baby dying. Mm-hmm. And so um, we went into the hospital when was it kevin december 2016 mm. yeah december of 2016 we a couple checked weeks in before christmas a couple weeks before christmas um and by all means uh, i should have already delivered our son he was um about 16 17 weeks um at the time wow. um, yeah. and you, i should have already delivered him can you explain um, a little bit of those complications you know like because i mean 16 or 17 weeks is certainly not a full term by any means, but you're saying that you should have already delivered him and that, you know, that's part of the complication that you were experiencing. Can you explain that a little bit for the listeners? Yeah, she was, Kelly was having some bleeding. So we went to the doctor and um, she did some scans and basically she said, you're already dilating a little bit. And so when we heard that uh, with our baby being, he was 15 weeks at the time, um, Essentially, there was there was no chance. She said he's coming uh, within hours, maybe a couple of days at the most, but he's going to be here. And so that just uh, devastated us because we knew that was that was the sentence that he got. Is he's only got just a few more hours to go. Wow. So we were told. So she told us to rush to the hospital, um, get over there, and deliver and delivery, and just get ready to to deliver him because he was coming. Okay, so you go to the hospital December of 2016, and, and what happens from there? Yeah, we were just broken. Um, I cried a lot <laughs> and just sat in the room waiting for, for him to come, for what the doctor said inevitably would come. Um, and, of course, we were praying for a miracle, but I think at that point when we had, come, when we had first come to the hospital, we were kind of like, okay, like, he's going to be here. We're preparing our hearts um, and and trying to just prepare physically and mentally, spiritually for what was about to happen, um, but also praying for a miracle. Um, Mm. But knowing that even if he didn't provide it, that everything was going to be okay. Um, And so we just waited and waited and waited. (laughs) Yeah, we were going to, we were going to fight for him. I mean, even though the doctors were saying there was, there was no chance, um, we weren't going to let that stop us from trying. So Callie, um, 
went into basically laid down and did not get up for two weeks. She inverted her legs even. Um, she would not get out of bed. So her feet in the air, laying in bed, she was just trying to keep them in. Even if gravity had to do it, she was going to do whatever wow. it takes to, to fight for him. Um, so she didn't move for two weeks. Um, wow. But then her, her water broke after a couple of weeks of, of laying inverted like that. Um, and things were even, even worse than they were. Mm. Um, and that was, that was essentially on, on Christmas day um, that we spent in the hospital. Um, it was, it was a rough time. It was kind of a sweet time with God because we had, we had been fighting for these two weeks, not knowing, you know, if our son was going to live another day or he would come any day, but you know, we both come to a place with God where he, uh, you know, he was in control. We just gave it up to him. Uh, we both just kind of said at the same time, looked at each other and just, God, just have your way with, with the situation. Um, we don't, we've already prayed a thousand times to save our baby, but at this point we don't know what your plans are. We don't understand. Um, we know that you're good and we trust you, but we were just, yeah, like Callie said, we were just broken. Wow. Didn't have anything else to, any more prayers to give really. We were on at our, at our end. Yeah. That's a, um, you know, Kevin, that's a unique phrase to say at a time like this, that, that was a sweet time with God, you know, because here you have this, essentially a diagnosis that says, hey, your your baby's not going to make it. It's not going to full term. It, you know, you're going to deliver at any moment. And, um, and yet you guys get to this place where you go, okay, we're just going to, we're going to surrender and we're going to trust the Lord and whatever uh, this looks like. How do you can you describe how you guys got to that place? What does that look like? Cause I know there's probably a lot of people listening going, there's no way. How does somebody get to that place where they go, wow, this, this in the moment of our deepest crisis, the moment of my deepest pain, this like dark night of the soul where we're expecting tragedy. It's a sweet time with God. seems like such a paradox, you know, unpack that a little bit for me. Yeah, it is. I mean, I could touch on it, Kevin, if you want to chime in, feel free, but I think it was because we had, we had nothing else to do, um, nowhere to go. Mm. We felt very powerless. Um, we were just trapped, basically, waiting in this hospital room. Um, and he was the only thing that was there. Um, yeah. We had a lot of time to, to, to pray, to you know, read the scriptures and talk to each other. It was, it was by no means an instant thing. And it was... And it was by no means even even while it was happening and that just the night before, um, you know, that he was delivered, that we felt like we had really any answers. But we did. It's almost like peace isn't the right word, but it was it was just a surrender. Mm. Um, but it was it was definitely. It was. I don't know. It's hard to yeah. even put into words. Yeah, it's just it's it's like when you realize, you know, it. I've been trying to do this all on my own. Mm. Like up until that point, we had been like, okay, let's look at the medical stats. You know, this is, this can be this percentage. And once he gets to this week, it's this percentage. It's like you, you take all of that and you put it on yourself and you're like, okay, we can do this. We can get to this mark. We can, you know, lay inverted. We can do all of this stuff. Um, but after, so, I mean, two weeks of basically trying to do it ourselves, we had this moment of just like, we need to breathe and God's got this. Like, if, yeah. you know, he, he created everything and he's, he created Quinn and he created mm. me and Kevin and how much more does he love us? Um, and 
we just had to let it go. And it wasn't by any means, it wasn't like, okay, we're, we're done trying or anything, but it was more of like a piece uh, in that surrender and realizing also that whether we're fretting and worrying about this or we're not, the end result will be the same. Mm, wow. <laughs> because what was it to you where you had started blogging from the hospital bed the last few days and I don't know where you got this, but you had, we were the whole time we were saying, what if, what if we lose him? What if, um, you know, Kelly gets an infection and gets sick? We were just always thinking, what if, um, but then, I mean, you, you mentioned like, well, even if mm. I get sick, even if we lose him, like we're still going to, still going to praise you God. Um, wow. So that was kind of where we were at. I don't know what, how that came about, but. <laughs> well, I asked you for a reason because I think that's the point. You know, it's like, we don't know how it, how it came about. Like, there's something so powerful and supernatural when believers come to a moment of crisis where the Holy Spirit rushes in and floods that space, floods that moment, and brings you like what Philippians 4, 7 says, a peace of God that passes all understanding. It passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense to us. And we can't even explain it to other people. It's like, no, 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 you had to have been there kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, you had to have been there to, to know it. And those of us who have experienced that really dark tragedy or dark trial, like, I get it. You know, I can look you in the eye over this call right here and I can go, I totally understand what you're, what you're saying. And, and folks who are listening, they can get it too if they've had that experience as well. And it's such a beautiful thing to know that there is this, um, this, this power that is walking with us in those moments that we cannot understand, that it does not make any sense to us, but, and yet it's so comforting, even in the darkest moments of our life. And then that power is so present, very present in the most, in, in the most darkest moments of our lives. And, um, and so just a cool thing to know that even right there, God was meeting you uh, in that yeah. moment. Very cool. I love that. What if converted to even if, you know, even if, even if you don't come through the way that we thought you were going to come through, we're still going to praise you. Um, yeah, and really it was, it was almost like he was preparing us for what was to come mm. because um, had we not come to that, um, that time, I guess that, that connection, it, the, the next year was going to uh, destroy us. Wow. Okay. So talk about what happens from there. You know, that's a profound moment right there where God is, like what you said, even preparing you, which he does so well for us when we're walking with him, we're children of his, that he he prepares us for the trials that we're about to step into. Um, we don't walk into that unprepared, but talk to me about what happens next, because it did take quite a turn for the worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, I guess that night, that Christmas, Christmas, the day after Christmas, day after Christmas um, I woke up, ate breakfast, um, and I just remember it, like after we had prayed and been like, okay, even if like we're, we'll still praise you, I just felt this um, just overwhelming sense of peace and just like a warm wash. Like for the first time in all of this trouble and turmoil, I realized like he's got this. And I was just, I mean, there's no other way to describe it other than peace. Um, and then I it went basically from zero to a hundred and, Um, two seconds. I just, I kind of was like, I don't feel good. And like just utter darkness for me. Um, And Kevin can pick up on what was happening medically and everything. Yeah. I think you were like my tummy, you know, it was day after Christmas, my tummy hurts and I went over there and felt her and just like, you feel kind of warm and probably should get the nurse in here. 
you can check her out, which they, you know, come all the time, but um, check your temperature. She was like 104 and then they took her blood pressure and they're like, oh, this is super low. Um, we've got to get you over into the delivery room like immediately. Um, so they whisked her over there and a doctor came in and she was starting to have trouble kind of being conscious and alert and starting to have a little trouble breathing even. Um, and there's, you know, everyone rushes in and so I hook it up to oxygen and the doctor's like, well, uh, you know, based off, you know, she's been in here and the, the worst case scenario that they always said is, you know, the, the risk and why the doctors advised not trying to save our baby was because just the chance of infection. Hmm. Um, and that's exactly what happened. He's like, I think, and they, it's too, you know, blood work doesn't come back that fast, but he's like, I think she has an infection and I think it went septic. Uh, which is where it gets into your bloodstream and starts uh, shutting down all your organs. It, wow. it over the infection overpowers your body, and that's what happened. To, uh, her body just could not could not fight it off, and so it, it drops her blood pressure. All of her organs uh, began to fail, and mm-hmm. so they started had to um, you know gear everything up. It was one thing after another. It was it was pretty frightening. Um, you know, the first thing is well, her blood pressure is low. We got to give her some fluid. Uh, she already had an IV in. Um, it's, it's still dropping when right? I give her some blood. You have to sign for that and consent to that. And, wow. Um, it's just one thing after another. We've got to get her downstairs to some more machinery, you know, put a central line in, uh, which is just a big IV into the heart and let us consent for that. So it was just, she was just getting worse and worse. Um, you know, it was, it was within minutes. Um, she was conscious and eating breakfast and then probably 20, 20 minutes later, she was unconscious and Looked up to all kinds of machinery as fast as they could. Man, um, <clears throat> Callie, yeah, I know was, that I know that you were obviously unaware of all this going on. You know, um, unconscious, and there all this work is being done on you. And Kevin, you're watching all of this take place and completely out of control. How did you feel in that moment? What was going on in your head? Yeah, it was it was spiraling. I mean, I felt. Um, it was, I mean, it just couldn't even, couldn't even think it was just one thing after another. It was, and I was, I was just feeling, you know, how could this be? Like, this is, this isn't something that, that should happen to us. You know, this is, um, this is the worst, you know, all the risks that you see on these big consent forms, this is, this is actually happening. Mm. And it was, I think what's um, notable here is also, um, Kevin, I kind of grew up in a family where medical stuff was normal. You know, yeah. you have a headache, take some ibuprofen. Um, his mom is very more like holistic and natural, mm-hmm. and um, and so not a hospital is, guy. Not, not a, a hospital guy. <laughs> even the idea of, of getting of like getting a blood transfusion, where you're just getting a little drip line of blood, uh, was scary to me. Yeah. And that was the first thing I had to do, and I was, you know, I, I had concerns with that. Wow, that was just you know the very tippy tip of the iceberg, but. Um, it was scary. I was, I was terrified. I was yeah. absolutely terrified. I, ha- I felt like I was just out of control. Um, wow. You know, she, she was getting, she was in real bad shape. So how, how long did this like emergency situation take place? What, what kind of happens from here? It was, it was, yeah. So she went downstairs to where they had, it was like a, a delivery hospital. They didn't, it wasn't some big hospital where they have a bunch of stuff. So, yeah. um, it's not even an ICU, but maybe like the critical area of the hospital. Um, she couldn't stay here, but they had to, it was, they had to be quick. So they went and went downstairs. Um, they had to call another doctor, a critical care doctor from another hospital to come. 
because um, they don't do this kind of stuff at this delivery hospital. And so they got the central line in. She couldn't breathe anymore on her own. So um, they had to put a tube down her throat. Again, scary stuff. Yeah. Very scary for somebody right. who doesn't like uh, you know, dealing with hospitals and medical intervention, stuff like this. But it's the only way to keep her alive. So um, she quickly started adding tube upon tube and IV. And, um, you know, there was... In uh, the whole time, I'm like, you know, is is our baby still alive? He still is mm-hmm. there. Um, but from what I'm seeing here, you know, it could be any moment. Yeah, and maybe he's maybe he's already gone. But um, <clears throat> you know, she still had to deliver. He was still in there, and so sh- she could barely survive. She's getting hooked up to life support. Um, they're pumping blood into her as fast as you know it's coming out. She was starting to hemorrhage. Uh, she delivered the baby I could I could I remember vividly like remembering this um, they kind of had a, a tube hooked up it was catching some of the blood and I could visually see it fill up mm. um, you know almost like like a faucet uh, of blood and so it was really they were pumping it in as fast as wow as it was coming out so not only did she have an infection that was shutting down her body she was you know hemorrhaging and bleeding out and so um, from there you know had to deliver the baby which they did. His, his name is Quinn. Um, mm. So Callie, you know, missed all this. She had, she had no idea, but mm. um, he delivered. It was beautiful. Um, you wow. know, perfect. But um, wow. I got to spend a little bit of time with him. Um, but Callie, though, there was there was no time to to wait for anything there. They had to. The second he was delivered, they had to get her into emergency surgery um, to stop the bleeding. Uh, they had to do a hysterectomy where they removed the uterus because they um, that's where she was bleeding from. Some major, you know, blood su- uh, supplies there. Wow. Um, so they did that emergency surgery, she, and she was so sick. I mean, your blood pressure is so low, and when you go into surgery, um, the the anesthetics they give you makes your blood pressure go even lower. So it's she was really not fit for surgery. So I didn't know um, if I was going to see her again. Really, no one knew. All, and all the doctors, it was, I mean, it was pins and needles to say the least. I didn't know if that was the last time I was going to see her when they rolled mm. away at the time. Wow. I can, um, <clears throat> I just want to pause for a second because I could definitely sense and, and see and feel a lot of emotion from both of you guys um, as you talk about Quinn. And you talk about this moment. Um, I think sometimes we forget how much all of us are, you know, we're, we're interviewing people on the podcast. And sometimes it feels like that everybody's kind of beyond their, their tragedy. They're over it, so to speak, you know, they're kind of moved on. And um, it's not the case for any of us, you know, there's still so much emotion that's tied up, so much grief, so much um, heartache that's tied up in, our stories. And I'm just reminded of that as I'm talking to you guys right now, that you're in the middle of it. You're still in that place of, um, I mean, Callie, you fought for this baby. You did everything you could, put yourself at risk, um, substantial risk to keep this baby alive. And we had, I mean, the doctors wanted me to take his life into my hands. Yeah. Oh, it makes me cry just thinking about mm. it. You know, they, they said, you know, we, we recommend that you abort and that you terminate this pregnancy for your health and um, well-being. And like, I remember 
the first time she brought it up, I was like, don't you even <laughs> like, he is a life. He is a precious life that God gave to us. And there's no way that I can take that life into my hands. Wow. There's just no way. So there was really no, like no other alternative, but to fight for him and for his rights and for, for Man. his life. Man, that's amazing. That's um, uh, what an amazing, beautiful perspective you know, greater love has no man than he laid down his life for a friend, right? I mean, that's what scripture tells us. And that you think any parent would say, hey, I'd be willing to lay down my life for my child. But even taking it a little step further and to say, I'd be willing to lay down my life for or put myself at tremendous risk for my unborn child. And to even hold on to just principle, you know, I don't think anybody would have blamed you for following the doctor's quote unquote orders or suggestion right there, you know, but to have this, this principle inside of your heart that says, no, I'm not going to take this life. I'm feel like that would be a violation to what God has asked me to do. And then be willing, being willing to step into that risk. It's truly amazing. And very remarkable. Um, very inspired by that. Um, so, wow. Wow. Sorry. I just needed to pause for a moment. Cause I just, I just sensed that so much emotion coming from you guys that this is something that you're still, you're still walking through you're still um, kind of sorting out with the Lord. And it's not the, even at this point in the story, it's not the end of your story. You've still got so much that you're, that you've got to tell to us and so much that you're going to continue to tell, but whew, wow. Okay. So, um, so you deliver and you're able to spend some time with, with Quinn there, Kevin, and, and they, they rush Callie off to do some more stuff. What, what, what happens from there? So she made it back. <laughs> she made it out. Um, praise God. She made yeah. it through that surgery. Um, but she, like I said, this was uh, just a small little labor delivery hospital. So we had to uh, go to a bigger hospital where they had the, the resources to take care of someone as sick as her. So went to a new hospital and they continued to, um, Callie was swelling up like a balloon because one of the things that fails is your kidneys. And when your kidneys mm. fail, um, you know, you can't, can't go pee. You don't, they don't make pee. So you yeah. start swelling up like a balloon. Um, you know, liver's failing. So she was turning yellow. Um, obviously her lungs weren't quite working. Her heart was barely, you know, hanging on, but not having the right, you know, blood pressure. But and I was um, still completely sedated during all of this. So uh, still haven't woken up. I've got a tube in my throat. Yeah. I mean, you still haven't woken up from the, my tummy's hurting moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was, and really for the next, for the next couple of weeks, um, she was just, you know, on dialysis and on full life support. And I would just sit there, would hardly sleep or eat and just watch that monitor. Um, you know, just watch it beep, (laughs) watch every little thing. Wow. Um, you know, they would come and adjust the medications you know, she's on just super strong antibiotics to fight uh, the infection and a bunch of medication to keep her blood pressure, you know, where it needs to be to make sure blood gets to her organs. And, and one of the results of that, and this is what, over the next couple of weeks, one of the medications um, to keep her blood pressure higher when it's when it's falling is it squeezes your your veins, it restricts them, mm-hmm. so that draws the blood into your vital organs. But the side effect of that is it makes your you lose blood to your limbs. Mm. And so I, I was basically watching her hands and feet turn purple, um, you know, and then darker purple and then black, and then they start to shrivel up. 
um, as the, as the tissue dies. Wow. So those next few weeks was, was that it was just a, um, you know, just a, this time of, we don't know, you know, just every say every single day, I didn't know if, you know, she was going to make it. Um, the doctors were, uh, they did this exploratory surgery just to see what they can find in there. You know, there was nothing else to do. I know at one point, um, some of the doctors said, um, I think Kelly's dad was like, well, what are her chances? You know, what's, what's the percentage? And they're like, I mean, there is, there is none. We don't know how she's alive right now. Wow. Um, there, there is medically speaking, there's no chance whatsoever. Um, and he's, and what he said, he said, the only thing we can do right now is pray. That's all we can do. Wow. This is what the doctor yeah. said. The doctor, yeah, one of her doctors, Man. one of the critical care doctors. One of the things for me, <clears throat> when Kevin told me this story later on, that really stuck out is um, that exploratory surgery that he was talking about, that yeah. the, the doctors went in and they just cut me open to see, okay, what, what do you look like on the inside and how are you even alive? And when they did that, um, everything was black. Oh, wow. Everything. Um, you know, my every, every organ that they saw was just black and necrotic and dead. Wow. And, and that's when they came back and were like, we don't know how she's alive. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's where I kind of, I kind of lost it there. I, I, I just kind of collapsed onto the ground, onto the chair and uh, didn't move for a few days. Um, I could almost see just through a, a cloud that, you know, the medical team continued to surround her 24 seven. Um, but I was, you know, I was starting to think about, that was the first time I think, I mean, it was, she was very spiraling and spiraling, but, uh, just hearing that from the doctor, just the severity of the situation, I was mentally, I guess I hadn't come to grips with what life would be like without her yeah. yet. Um, wow. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Kevin, you, you guys talked earlier about this moment where it was a moment of surrender, this like peace uh, moment that you guys had in the hospital. What were you feeling? Let's see if you can explain a little bit more about, you know, what's what those moments were like as you're sitting there bedside and you're curled up next to her just wrestling through this idea of like i'm i may not she may not be here very soon um what was some of the stuff going on between you and the lord and your heart there uh if you don't mind sharing even some of the raw you know some of the just like uh, this this maybe some of the the duking out i have to imagine you start duking it out with the lord a little bit right there yeah, I did. I did. Um, you know, for a while, it's it's just like a shock um, kind of thing with without much thought at all. Um, just you know, the tears and the, the the heart of breathing and the physical and having to get reminded to eat. Um, yeah. Sleeping wasn't happening. I wouldn't. I decided to. I wasn't going to leave. Um, we had some some friends and family that you know offered to watch her because at this time we had our, our daughter Kinsey she was 18 months uh 18 months old and so but I couldn't leave Callie because I was making all of the you know all of these decisions medically and also didn't want to leave because I thought if I left um, you know she wouldn't be there when I got back so I didn't want to go anywhere um so I didn't I, I moved into the hospital basically I had people bring me laundry and whatnot wow <laughs> lived there but um after the that initial shock um you know, I, I just, we had a, just an incredible community, um, you know, believers in a church and just, just, there was always someone there, um, that almost like people are 
they don't always know what to say. Yeah. Um, they just, you know, we're just, they just wanted to be there. Wow. Um, and, you know, I remember early, I mean, after the shock wore off, I would, I was just trying to find maybe answers in the scriptures. And so I had my, I had my Bible there somehow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, everybody talks about Job and, and how much suffering he, he had. And I remember reading, you know, he did lose everything, but even he didn't lose his wife. Right. Um, and, but then as soon as I thought that, I just felt like how proud of me to think that, I, you know, me comparing myself to Job and um, that I'm somehow better, you know, better off and, and just making that connection at all. And so it was, you know, I, I didn't feel great. I didn't, yeah. I didn't understand why this was happening. Um, I couldn't find the answers I, I wanted there, you know, in the scriptures. Just, I just wanted, you know... <laughs> And you're probably never going to find just that crystal clear. Yeah, that's not not the way God works on our hearts. But um, it was it was rough. I, I find myself reading Job over and over and over. Yeah. Um, well, it's like yeah. in those moments, like you said, you're you're just you're like God, just make something jump out of the page. Like show me something, tell me something, like give me some yeah. kind of a hope or comfort or assurance that this is going to be okay, or you know. And, and, and sometimes those, those things are like in those moments, they're fleeting. You're not, you're not finding what you're wanting there. And there becomes this desperation, um, man. I think what's so profound though, one of the things you said is that you had this great community around you that people that showed up that although they didn't know what to say, which if, if we're honest, nobody knows what to say when they step into those moments, you know, I mean, even I've stepped into those moments so many times as a pastor and, and I've not known what to say. And, and even as someone who has, who has walked through something so horrific and knows what you want to have said to you in those moments, I still don't know what to say to people. But I think the power of what people provided for you right there was a power of presence. You know, it's just, it's such a, such a, 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 a to, to spur us, all of us as believers on to remember the fact that when we have people that have something going on in our lives, you know, friends of ours, people in our church, people in our small group, just to show up, just be there. You don't have to have the words to say, just be there because what a tremendous way it ministered to you for them just to be around, you know? Yeah, it did. Let me interrupt this episode for one second to tell you about our Nothing Is Wasted monthly partner program. If you haven't heard us talk about it already, this program is a way to gain access to bonus content that we believe will be valuable to you, our community of listeners, as you journey through a trial, tragedy, or transition. By setting up a monthly tax-deductible donation to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries of either $5 a month, $10 a month, or $20 a month, you gain access to different levels of content. This includes bonus mini episodes with past guests, video teachings from me about things I've learned along my own journey, discounts on Nothing Is Wasted coaching and videos, a monthly Q&A live stream, and more. Head to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to find out more and sign up. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash partners. And now back to our conversation. So you're camped out there for a couple of days. You're, um, you're waiting kind of this in this waiting game, not sure if she's going to survive. What, what happens next? Yeah. And it was, it was more like, um, a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Weeks. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was a few weeks of, 
mean, just this, she was making no progress at all. They were, she was just barely hanging on there. Um, so going from there, um, it was just a matter of keeping her alive. And this, I mean, this went on for, for quite some time. It wasn't until it was mid to late February. So we were at two full months of Callie, completely unconscious, completely on, depending on life support. Wow. Um, she slowly, it was inch by inch. It was, you know, I called it a, like a roller coaster. I mean, it was, um, she would just make this tiny bit of progress, you know, one digit on a blood pressure reading, you know, on one day, I would call that a good day, you know, if it's going positive, but then wow. the next day, you know, it, things would get worse. Um, so it was excruciatingly slow. Um, and so I was just in this devastated state for suspended, you know, animation, just, just waiting, uh, praying, you know, hoping people would come and pray over her. I mean, it was she constantly just people from, you know, our community would just, just pray over her. You, and at this point you couldn't, no one can actually touch her. Uh, that's yeah. another thing is yeah. with, you know, when you have these infections like this, they're so strong, they don't want, you know, and you can't bring anything in or right. give anybody anything. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was hard. It was a, it was a few weeks, a couple months. And then I think he finally just started to show, you know, some started to stabilize a little bit. So he started to, started to come to you. They start to slowly uh, wean her off. Uh, the ventilator, you know, they, they lower the pressures to see if she can do it on her own. And so they slowly start weaning off some of those blood pressure medications. And so they just slowly start weaning off the sedation. So she'll wake up. And uh, yes, so that was mid to mid to late February, early March when you started to come to. Yeah, and probably my earliest memory was I still had a tube in my neck. Um, and I remember waking up I was on so much medicine. It's all very, very foggy. But yeah. I remember waking up and kind of like looking down and seeing that my belly was gone. Mm. And I didn't know what had happened or what was going on really. But I was like, where's Quinn? And mm. But I couldn't talk because I had something in my neck. So I'd like look at Kevin and he'd be like, you know, mm. like nothing would come out. Um, and he'd have to like guess what I was saying. Um, and usually it was, where's Quinn? And he'd have to like tell me what happened the past mm. two months really and it was devastating wow. I mean he had to relive that trauma over and over and over and over and over how many times do you have to tell, tell that to me I think wow. he finally wrote it down um, and just like showed me a paper and I just start reading it and get like halfway through and I'd be crying and then I forget what the very beginning was so wow. I'd go back up to the tar- top, top and start reading it again and it was just it was a very that time was uh, that's like my earliest memories is basically this just loss and not knowing I didn't really know my feet were gone because they had done the amputations by this time. I didn't really um, understand what was going on. I just couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't talk. Where was Quinn? Like just a lot of confusion. Wow. Yeah. So because of the, what you had explained earlier, Kevin, about, you know, the blood going straight to the vital organs and, and Mm -hmm. kind of the, the tissue loss and all of the appended uh, appendages, they ended up having to amputate. Where, where did they amputate? They amputated um, below my knees. Below your so knees. So I have bilateral baloney amputations. Wow. Um, which is a miracle in and of itself because the first few, do- first few doctors that he talked to said, there's no way we can save her knees. Um, wow. Like, we're not even going to try. And he finally found a doctor who's like, we'll try to save her knees. Um, wow. And yeah, some of the, and the, I think the first time they started talking about amputations, 
and they, they usually try to get on that pretty quick because when you have dead tissues that's where kind of bacteria likes to hang out yeah um but yeah it was they basically said we got to take your legs and your arms was kind of how wow um, at that time is, is how it was it was looking like um but she her she was actually healing a little bit um sometimes miraculously i think like uh, I, I tell people i mean jesus saved her from the grave he pulled her out of yeah. the grave mm-hmm. for whatever reason we don't know but he really did work there um, the doctors knew it even if they weren't believers they you know they would say things like, we don't know how this is possible wow um you know but here it is here she is um so i mean he saved her from the grave and um some of the wounds would just you know close um you know during that time and some some would open but um you know, I, they wanted to amputate above her knees and I thought the knees were actually looking not too bad. They were healing a little bit. So it's like, why don't we wait a little bit? So, well, we got her on the schedule. We need to get her in there because she could get another infection and die. It's essentially the answer to everything. Um, as I would always ask, what are the other options? How long can we wait? Well, the risks are she'll get an infection and die every single time. But, wow. um, so as it was able to hold off on that leg amputation, you know, I was able to they were able to amputate below the knee and which is huge for walking and just mobility in general. Yeah. Um, and in her hands, actually, um, she regained a little bit. She lost, uh, two fingers instead of all oh. 10. So, uh, that's a plus. Wow. They, um, they're not, they do another thing when you're, I don't want to get you know too medical, but, uh, when you're in a bed for a long time, when you don't move, your body starts to, um, constrict all your mm. tendons and everything they start to get shorter and shorter so your fingers curl up um your hips you know tighten up so um you know she had that she had that to deal with and even now um you know hands aren't quite working like they used to but wow. um he really did i mean he's he saved her out of that hospital and out of the icu out of that situation yeah for a reason man um, it's amazing even, you know, when you think about the perspective of things, like, you know, here you are um, giving God praise, even though you've lost both legs below the knee, you've lost a lot of functionality. Um, but when you think about the how relative that is, that, you know, God rescued you out of the grave. But the, the perspective shift there that you have, Kevin, to go, hey, man, like she, I almost lost her. And, um, and, and, and at the same time you're wrestling with this, okay, we haven't lost her, but now we are also having to wrestle, you know, make these decisions that we know are going to change our life forever. And so you're at this crossroads, crossroads where you're like, okay, either way we look at this, either way this pans out, it's going to completely change our life forever. Um, I imagine that was just traumatic in and of itself to have to make those decisions for her. You know, to think about how how do I save my wife's life, but now she's going to wake up bearing the consequences of some of these decisions that I made for her. I mean, I just can't, I can't imagine that. Nobody would want to be put in your place right there to do that. Yeah, that was, that was not fun. Not fun Man. at all. Man. Wow. Okay. So you, you wake up, Callie, you're starting to have some of these, you know, starting to get some functionality, get through the fog a little bit, you know, starting to shake off some of that quote unquote amnesia, I guess that real short, short term amnesia. Talk to me about what, what progresses from there. 
Yeah, it was very slow, very slow progression. Um, they would uh, take me out of the bed. So when I was finally well enough to kind of get out of the bed, I was still in the ICU unit. They had this um, wall like lift. Um, so or it was like ceiling lift. So they'd bring this little crane over, drop it down. I'd kind of, they'd roll me mm. um, onto it and they'd lift me up and they'd set me in this chair. So I did that, um, I think like three times a day or not a day, three times like every week um, with PT. And it was so painful because at this time, I, I mean, I, my amputations are still fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, my hand is still very freshly amputated as well. Um, and then on the, in addition to that, I've got staples all up and down my stomach. Um, and um, my tailbone had actually gone necrotic. Um, when I was laying in bed and I went septic, my tailbone, the tip of my tailbone wow. actually died. Wow. So I had huge wounds on my backside, basically, um, with lots of extensive skin grafts. So everything that you could see, I mean, I definitely, if you looked at me, it's like, okay, she's she's got problems. But there was a lot of stuff under the hospital gowns that you couldn't tell that were causing a lot of pain. Yeah. So that was just uh, physical therapy, just daily um, pain. And then finally, I was well enough to move to rehab. Um, but really in all reality, I was the sickest person in rehab. Um, I, I wasn't probably fully ready to actually go to rehab, um, and, and participate because I was so weak from basically at this point, I'd been like a year in the ICU. Right. Um, and so I moved to, I moved to rehab, um, but still had issues. Like they would use a sliding board to help me get from my chair to um, my bed or my bed to my chair mm. and had to do a lot of stuff that I, I mean, I, I couldn't sit up in bed and still, I mean, to this day, just a few months ago was the first time I was able to sit up in bed on my own. Wow. So talking strength wise, like um, I'm still very much um, in recovery stage, but um, a few months in rehab and then um, I had to go back to the ISDU again. Mm. So that was, Last year, for not, Christmas. Yeah, for Christmas. For Christmas. <laughs> Ended up back in the hospital. For Ended Christmas. up back in the hospital um, because my um, tailbone was having issues again. They actually had to go and remove it, um, along with my left took in, finger. index finger. Yeah. They took another finger. I remember by this point. Um, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas. We're going to take another finger. Wow. I remember by this point, um, they were like, they were trying to save up. They're like, okay, we can't. And this was the first time that I had the decision to amputate. Basically, oh, yeah, yeah. you remember this? That was really, yeah. It was really funny. I was like, okay, I don't have to choose this. You could choose this. Wow. And I remember just like looking at it. Granted, I was in a lot of pain medicine. But I looked at my finger. I was like, eh, what's another finger? Chop it off. <laughs> like, bye. After I stopped a picture. I was like, bye, finger. Wow. And that was it. Um, so wow. um, yeah, and then spent I spent that Christmas actually in the double. Um, it's like basically a double containment in the isolation room. So. So there's like an isolation room in the ICU. ICU is already like contained, right? Right. right. But then there's a double, I, Kevin always laughs, it's not called double containment. It's called something else medically, but I call it <laughs> yeah. double containment. It's like a separate room before you go into my room um, because I caught shingles when oh, I was man. in the ICU. So here I am, had another amputation, had more surgery on my tailbone, and I'm in the ICU again for the second year. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, I remember just being like, I'm done with this. Like mm. I, I like, when does this stop? I, there was no foreseeable end. Um, but after that, we actually, it, things got a little bit better. Um, mm. We ended up 
going transferring from the ICU, um, interns would no longer pay for rehab. And because of all the extensive surgery I'd had, right. I couldn't go back to rehab to participate in it. Um, so they put me in, um, I called it an old person's home. It's not that. It's <laughs> called a long-term acute care facility, mm. LTAC. Um, but basically an old person's home. Kind of like a nursing home. Kind of like a nursing home. A little bit more uh, acute. Right, yeah, acute right. Care. Um, and I spent, how long did I spend in there? Three months. Three months there before I came home, just recovering from my latest surgeries. Wow. Um, and that was the first time. In the LTAC was the first time that I had more clarity in my mind. Granted, I was still on a lot of pain medicine, but I had more clarity. And I was really just processing through everything. And it 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 doesn't really look like a hospital. The LTAC doesn't. Um, it looks like it was in a nursing home. So I, I felt like I, at that point, I felt like I had kind of been forgotten. Yeah. Like, like insurance didn't want to do anything anymore and I was never going to get better. And I was just going to be left in this, left in this place, like forgotten around right. these other pe- people who at night would yell out, not knowing where they're at. Um, you know, I had a, a sweet lady next to me, but I think she had Alzheimer's and like in the middle of the night, she'd just be like, where are you? Where are you? Like, yelling at, ah. like it just wasn't a very, very fun place to be. Uh, finally, after three months of that, we were able to go home. Um, and that was just a, and that was what day, what day was that? That was this month. That was March of 2017. March of 2017. Yeah, so all in all, I think it was uh, from December 2016 through March um, 2018. So wow, so about a little over, almost a year and a half being in the hospital, I see you, we have a little bit. Yeah. And that was the first time we didn't tell Kinsey I was coming home. We like just told her because we weren't really sure. Like it was kind of like insurance pushed us. It was either a step down from the LTAC or go back home. And Kevin's like, we're not putting you in a step lower than this. So we're bringing Mm. you home. And it was just such a beautiful day. Like I remember I was still in a hospital gown (laughs) um, being brought home. And my hair hadn't been washed in like a year, basically. And wow. um, I was super thin and um, on a lot of pain medicine, but just so happy. And I got home and it was just a, it was just like a very um, healing time. Like my dog came out oh. and sniffed at me and was like, oh my gosh, you're alive. <laughs> you're like, wow. hadn't seen me in so long. And um, Kinsey was just absolutely amazed. She's like, mommy's home, mommy's home, mommy's home. Oh my gosh. Like, and wow. she had never, I mean, this is the first time Kinsey had really ever probably remembered me being home, you know, like this had been a year and a half of her little life. And she was only a year and a half old when this all happened. So yeah. she didn't remember me with feet. She didn't remember me ever being at home or ever having a mother right? or even a dad for that fact, because he was always gone. And Friends were taking care of her. So it was it was just a very healing, healing time. Wow. Wow. I'm always amazed at, you know, people's stories of, of pain and trial, especially one of the things, you know, that I, I know to be true, not just because of walking through some of trial my own, but also just, you know, knowing that this is how God works. He just opens up and reveals his character in those moments you know, for you guys over a year and a half of this long painstaking, you know, suffering through, he opens up things, uh, truths, character, uh, reveals his mysteries, teaches you things that you wouldn't otherwise have, have learned. And, um, and I'm so always so fascinated to hear from other people what, what they felt like God was teaching them through that. You know, it's kind of like a little insight because it's like, man, 
Yeah, everybody listening here would be like, I, I hope I never have to go through what you've gone through. Nobody would ever want that or wish that upon anybody else. And yet at the same time, there's almost a little bit of envy that says, hey, I, I want to experience what you experienced with the Lord, though. I'm sure there were some of those sweet moments that you talked about, the sweet times with God, even in the midst of the hardship of that. Can you just tell us some of those things? What were some of the things that God was just really teaching you guys through that time? How was he yeah. opening up his and, character to man, you more? Such a good question. I, um, For me, so I, I grew up um, in a Christian household. Mm. Um, I grew up kind of knowing knowing God and knowing I guess my dad was a deacon, you know, at a Baptist church. So yeah. I had all the right answers and I came to know him at, a, at an early age. Kevin was on the opposite end of that spectrum um, where he didn't actually come to know Christ until he was in his twenties. Um, but I had never, on all my years of being a Christian, quote unquote, or knowing Jesus and, and loving him. And I definitely believe I, I did. And I do. Um, I had never had that moment of just, it's almost like a, um, a direct line is opened up, you know, mm, like you, yeah. when you're at that point where literally like, um, an example, I'm a big gifts, like gifts are like my main love language. So when family is like, what do you want for Christmas? Um, I'm like, I don't want anything, you know, I just want God. Like that's, I just want to talk to him and he's my only comfort. Yeah. So it's literally like, it, it was like a dialogue with me. And <laughs> like when I was going through trouble, I think I was taught growing up to, you know, you only go to God and you say, here's my praises and here's what I want basically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank him for things. But it was literally like, why have you put me through this? What, what's going on? What, what do you want me to learn about this? Mm -hmm. Um, It was like a constant conversation, um, an open line, like daily with him um, of prayer. And I had never really had that my entire life. Um, where I was just constantly praying with him. It, it was praying to him or talking to him. I mean, he was always there. And yeah. um, I think about him, you know, like, hey, right. you're a good friend. Um, but he, he wasn't like my only my only solace and my mm. only comfort and my only thing to turn to. Um, and so that I'd say that this time kind of really put that into perspective. You realize, you know, like things of this world fade and... Um, you know, you're going to feel pain and you're going to feel heartache and anger. Um, but the only true thing in life and the only life giving thing ultimately is him. And so he's like, all I had to, all I had to hold on to. Yeah. And I don't want to, um, I mean, you could go into detail if you want on this, but I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't, uh, excruciatingly (laughs) difficult. Yeah. Um, I know. I mean, at some points, Callie would would express to me like, you know, when she was in the ICU, like, why am I? She would say that over and over. Why am I alive? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't. I don't want to be. I want to be in heaven with Quinn. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be because she couldn't move. She she was in constant pain. She couldn't talk. You know, she couldn't do anything. It's she's like I don't, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Um. You know. So, but then again, she also couldn't do anything or didn't have anything. And so he was the only, he was the only thing. I think it was just voicing those frustrations yeah. to yeah. him though. Like at a place for all vulnerability and just utter despair where you're, you can be free to tell him those things and just yeah. be like, you know, this sucks. And why, why, why is this happening? And I think you're, you're wrong. Like this should not be going this way. Right. Um, but yeah, and it's almost like um, 
you know, like a friend. Um, you you get in arguments and you get upset at them, mm. and but then you love them, and you know, like it was it was it's very much it was very much like that relationship with him. Where, um, but I just I think the one thing that I always did do, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, is at least keep that communication open, mm. which I think led ultimately to healing. And even though I was very angry, yeah, <laughs> at my deepest and darkest point, um, I still. I still kept that, that line open. Right. Well, I think that's what's so beautiful about what the Lord is for us in these moments is that he's not intimidated by us being angry at him. Mm -hmm. You know, like we can use him as a punching bag in these moments and just fight and punch and kick and be so angry and upset at the Lord. And yet he, he can completely absorb it. Like he's like, and not, not only absorb it, but he like pulls us in closer during those moments. You know, it's like, I just get this visual of like flailing your arms, just punching the Lord in this, in this, I'm so frustrated. Why is it? And at the same time, he's just wrapping his arms around you while he's absorbing the punches. And it provides this, like what you said, this healing, this comfort, um, even in the midst of that wrestling. And I think so often we get afraid to wrestle with God like that for whatever reason, or we're, we think that that's, we've got to put on this Christian face and it's like, wait, 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 hold on a second. <laughs> like you're going through something horrific, you know, God's hurting for you as well. And he wants to pull you in closer during these moments and he can totally take it. He can totally handle your, your pain. He can totally handle your anger and your frustration with him. Um, I think you said it, Callie. I mean, that's the key, just keeping that line of communication open even if that line looks like a hostile communication. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I mean, some people I think ask when, and maybe even I did at the start, it's like, you ask God, why, why is this happening? And I think oh, for me, it was, that was pretty short. And I was more like, just make it stop. You don't even mm. have to tell me why. Just, just make it stop. Yeah. You know, heal her, bring her home, you know, restore this, use this. Um, it's kind of where, wow. Wow. That was that. It was, and it was, and to kind of go back to your question, it, I had kind of, after reading like Job over and over and over, you know, I, uh, I wasn't finding the answers I wanted. I, but I did remember somebody, I think one of our pastors came by and, um, at the time it, it didn't give me too much comfort, but I, the, um, I think it's in Corinthians, uh, second Corinthians mm. eight, where he says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you hmm. where my power is made perfect in weakness. And so I was, I was thinking back, I was like, his grace is sufficient. Um, yeah. You know, his power is made perfect in this weakness. And so uh, there's just a lot there. I think thinking back that just, that stuck out to me that regardless of how this is happening, like his grace is, is on, is upon this, this situation. Yeah. You know, his, He's he's in control. Uh, he's incapable of doing bad. Yeah. So whatever this is, um, it, it's his grace, really. Wow, wow, that's good. God is incapable of doing bad. So even this, even this can be seen as a gift somehow. Even this can be seen as good somehow. You guys are um, experiencing some of that. Um, I know just how God is using this, maybe in some, in some small ways, maybe in some big ways. Can you t tell me a little bit about how you've seen since, you know, since all this has happened, how's God been, 
been using this in some in some ways that have kept you hopeful to say, wow, he's he's gonna he's gonna keep using this to to help other people. I I probably our first um, I, I our first like kind of moment of redemption or not not really redemption but like um beauty from mm. the ashes um came when we traveled to California um for uh Bethany Hamilton's beautifully flawed mm. retreat. Yeah. Um and so she she actually puts on a retreat every year for um girls who have limb loss or limb differences. Um I think it's like age 13 to 18 or 19. So I was definitely outside of that age, um, that age gap or at that age range. Um, but I was invited out, um, anyways, just to come and also to speak, um, and to share my story. And so I got to come and that was my first, like I said, I think I said uh, earlier, maybe before we were talking, um, my first like traveling up until that point, I had been in bed every day, all day, um, maybe out, out of bed, like up in my wheelchair for an hour. Mm. Um, and I went from that to um, traveling across the United States. So we're in Texas. We traveled all the way to California um, to go to this retreat. And it was just so um, life-giving and um, healing and redemptive um, to find um, find my, my, my group, my, my people, and to see these um, young women and just love on them. Um, and then also find like other other women who are actually mentors at the retreat, um, and to ask them my questions that I had. Mm. You know, I kind of fell in between <laughs> in between the two groups. Um, these girls they come and they're um, you know beautifully broken, and yeah. they they have these you know scars or um, you know lost limbs, and and they wonder, will I ever be beautiful? Mm. Um, you know, why? What, what is my my purpose? Um, and for me, I, I didn't really struggle. I haven't struggled so much on that end. Um, more of like the emotional, you know, like my son's gone. Um, you know, I, I, I'm here so I could care less what I look like. Um, and, and I also have that knowledge that like my beauty is rooted in Christ. Mm. And so, um, I had actually never even given it a single thought before I went to this retreat and all these girls were like, wow, like, how are you so confident? You're not wearing anything over your, your stumps, the medical term. I call mm. them my nubs. Like, <laughs> not wearing anything over your, your stumps, you know? Like, how are you com- comfortable, you know, showing the world this? And it was like, well, I, I never thought about it, but um, Jesus, I mean, mm. it's a Sunday school answer, but honestly, it's, um, I, my worth is not found in how many digits and toes I have. Um, my worth is found in Him. And wow. so it was really an awesome and, really beautiful opportunity to go there and meet these amazing um, young women and, and women and um, share my story. And that was kind of the first, um, I guess, I mean, there's several like little lights throughout everything, but that was the right. biggest and brightest light that had shown forth at that point. And, and when I realized like, I really do have a story and um, a testimony that I can share and help others. And since then through Instagram, I've opened up a little bit more and, um, started sharing, you know, pictures of me and um, a little bit more of my journey, and it's been really, um, it's been just a total God thing to see all these women from all sorts of different backgrounds and walks of life and faith and non-faith and um, religion and non-religion come and show up on this platform and be mm. like, "You have helped me to with 
either, you know, maybe it's just a mom who's like, I've been having a terrible day. And I realize, okay, it's not that bad. And God's yeah. got this. Or maybe it's someone who's going through a really hard time and struggling with suicide. Mm. Um, and they can look at me and see a vulnerable post where I'm like, Hey, I've been there. Yeah. And you know, this, this isn't the end. And yeah. God has a beautiful plan laid out for you. And so we're just now starting to see that, um, I guess the kind of the fruit yeah. of that whole long year and a half um, come forward, and um, even more so, more exciting, more exciting um, news. We, um, I just got approved for prosthetics, so wow. um, found out I'm going to walk again this year. That's so awesome. I'm hoping that um, I'll be able to actually walk back um, into the beautifully flower trade yeah. this year, and um, and be able to love on those girls and. Just walk around the house and and love on my daughter. Like I can't, I can't imagine she's going to come with us to our first appointment. Um, just seeing her face like light up. It's it's uh, it's better than Christmas and mm. Easter and her birthday and everything combined. Whenever she sees me doing these things for the first time, like um, just yesterday, <laughs> yesterday night actually, I walked on my knees. For the oh, first time, wow! And um, she <laughs> have the cutest little video, but she was like, "Mommy's walking, mommy's Aww. walking, oh, mommy!" <laughs> and she hugged me, and I didn't realize like it was such a sweet moment. She's never been able to hug me wow. like that to get her whole arms around me. Wow! She's never been able. She's never. She was like looking at my back, like, "Wow, this is a new thing." Like mm. I've I've never seen you upright, and um, it, it's truly it's such a blessing, and it's um, you know my story is just just kind of getting started. Man. Wow. Well, you guys both are absolutely a, a tremendous inspiration. Um, just to watch, watch or hear a little bit about how you've walked through this and how you've continued to just hold strong to the Lord and not letting this situation um, shake your faith, but allow it to shape you and shape your faith. And I know there are times that you're like, man, I just, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through this at all, but man, it's really cool to see God's hand um, preserving you and carrying you through this whole thing. You truly are, are, are an inspiration. You're going to, I know you're just seeing the little bit of the fruit of what God's doing on this. There's going to be a lot more. There's going to be a lot more. Um, There's so. actually, um, if I don't, I don't know if you mind, I have yeah, a, one of my favorite scriptures yeah. um, that's kind of helped. You asked this, you know, earlier, um, and I didn't, I think I <laughs> jotted around this, but one of my favorite scriptures um, throughout this whole time um, that I found and kind of just dwelled in um, is Psalms 73, verse 26. And it mm. says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Wow. Um, and that's exactly where I was at. And um, I hope <laughs> continue to be um, for as long as I'm, as I'm breathing. Wow. Well, everybody should go follow your journey on Instagram because you got, I mean, I've got it open right in front of me right now. Beautiful pictures, beautiful family, uh, an incredible story of how God's um, taking ashes and turning them to beauty. And uh, again, I, I really believe you guys are um, soon to be a walking example of finding purpose in your pain. Super excited about that for you guys. Man, so cool. So cool. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for sharing your story. I know it's going to impact so many people. Really appreciate Thank you guys. You yeah, it was great. Thank you.
Man, what an inspiring story. I just can't imagine everything that they have gone through and yet they've gone through it together as a couple. And I love Mel when she said, things of this world fade. You're going to feel pain. You're going to feel heartache. But the only true thing to hold on to is him. Oh, I love that so much. It instantaneously reminded me of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, that mm. um, the, the temporary fades, but the only thing that is forever is is the Lord. That's so true. And unfortunately, it's only in those times of pain that we really get a clear picture of that and that we're reminded of that. It's like when things are going well in life, we we forget that principle. We forget what's most important and that which is most important is Jesus. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we want to thank you guys so much for listening today. And if you would do us a favor, if this has benefited you or been helpful to you in any way, would you go and rate and review the podcast? We would love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts. Love to hear your feedback. Love to hear your story. So go to iTunes, rate and review it. Write your story into us. Email us at hello at nothingiswasted.com. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to be able to start up a conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. And if you aren't following us yet on Instagram, you should head over and follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. We always have um, book giveaways and updates. So a lot of fun updates that you don't want to miss out on. And our music is by the one and the only Ryan O'Neill. Thank you so much. You can find his music anywhere that music can be streamed and downloaded. And before we sign off, here is a clip of next week's episode with Maria Hatch Bowersock. That day, she sent a text to all of us kids that said, um, we're getting ready to take off. I won't take my mind off of you. And I had sent a text back, kind of sarcastic, like, stop leaving us. And my mom and I, she was like my best friend. So it was like, just come home, like, stop, right. stop being gone. And then it was that, um, gosh, early that morning, I got a call from my papa that the plane had crashed and mom and dad didn't make it. And Austin, my brother, was in critical condition and probably wouldn't make it through the night.